All right. <laughs> Good morning. Good to see everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So we're just going to jump right in. We got a new series that we're starting this week called We Are the Church, and here's the reason why. Um, every year we do uh, a kind of a mission and vision message uh, just so people can know who we are. Um, but this time we chose to do a whole series um, on this, and it's for this reason. So since January to now, we've had 304 new guests um, come to Life Church. So lots of new people coming. And so we're wanting to make sure that we've taken an opportunity uh, to talk to you about who we are, why do we do the things that we do, give you kind of a behind-the-scenes look at um, just what we're doing as a church. For this reason, right, like I take it very seriously, like we understand that people pick churches for certain reasons, right? Like the idea is that you come because you like the music, or you come because you got children's ministry, or you come because, you know, they got youth ministry, or you come because of teaching, or you come for a reason. But the bigger thing for us is, is that why do people stay, right? Not why do people come, because the thing about why people come, if it's the only reason that they're staying and that changes, they'll just leave again. Does that make sense? So if they come and you come because of worship and worship changes, you just tend to leave and go find another place that, you know, you find a worship or teaching or whatever those things are or youth. So what we want to talk about is this whole idea, what is it that should be an important part for you in picking a church, right? So if you're coming to Life Church, what is that factor that would say, I want to pick to be at this church for what reason? Well, for us, that's significantly important because we want you to understand that it's bigger than worship, it's bigger than teaching, it's bigger than youth, it's bigger than all of the different things going on. It's more what is our mission, right? Like, if you're going to stay here, the, the biggest thing that you could take away from this series is what is the mission and not what is our mission. Like, we're going to tell you about our mission, but what is God's mission for you? Right? Like very clearly, what is it that God has called you to do? And the question always has to be the same. Is the church that I'm going to helping me accomplish God's mission? Right? That's what it has to be, right? Because everything else is interchangeable, but the mission is not interchangeable. And everything that we filter things through is through this lens. So before I ever got into full-time ministry, did a lot of mission work. Um, it was on the uh, board for the House of Hope. And so the House of Hope did orphanages and church plants, and we traveled in different parts of the world. And here was a common denominator in almost every single place that we went. Even when there was persecution in the midst of Christianity, the church was growing, people were on fire, and they were doing whatever they could to spread the gospel, right? Like you would go, you would, you would spend time in Guatemala, India, Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, whatever those places are, you could see those things happening. And then you would come back to the American church and you would be like, what happened, right? Like what's going on inside of the American church? Because choices for the gospel to be spread and choices for the church to grow in other parts of the country come under persecution, right? So if you make a decision to go to church, you risk persecution, but yet the church still grows. The biggest choice we usually have to make, like I was thinking about this, like you, the Notre Dame-Ohio State game was on last night. Anybody watched the Notre Dame-Ohio State game? 
Okay, a couple of you. So the idea is how late are you going to stay up because, you know, I don't want to be too tired to go to church, right? So one of the biggest decisions we have to make is, do I sacrifice an hour of sleep to be able to get up to go to church? Do I sacrifice, like, coming early because I have to volunteer? Do I come early and be sacrificed because I have to set up chairs? Do I stay late with this idea that I'm not going to be able to go to lunch with the rest of the lunch crowd because I have to take down chairs? Am I going to be, you know, is my life going to be interrupted? That tends to be our biggest choice of sacrifice. And if we look at the church, the church in America is not growing. Right? Like, the number of people that are coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is not growing at a significant rate. So the question always is why? Why is there a difference in the rest of the world and why is it different here? And how can we as a church be a part of it? Because for me, when I, had a, when I thought I had a choice, you know, you learn this in your Christian walk, you think you have choices and then really you don't, right? Because God tells you what to do and you either listen or he'll, like make sure that you get on that road at some point. I said, I don't want to be a part of the church. I don't want to plan a church because I don't think the church works. But then God said to me very clearly, I want you to plan a church that will be a vehicle to change the world. And I'm like, well, I've tried to ignore you before, so I'm going to try it. So what you see here today is the best representation of what we've been trying to do since 2004 when this church planted. So if you're new with us, in 2004, we used to live in Carlisle Crossing, and we had church in our house. The group of people, you know, just Shane, Jen moved over with us, and we lived in Carlisle Crossing together, and we had church in our living room with the dreams of, would it ever be possible to be able to plant a church that the people lived on mission, and you could see God working, and it would change the world. Like, that was the idea. That was clear back in 2004. We've seen a lot of things happen since 2004, a lot of changes that have happened since 2004, but one of the things that's never changed is our mission, right? And what's never changed is how we take that strategy and try to accomplish that mission. So I want to talk to you about the mission. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, just to set it up in context for you. Matthew 28, Jesus, end of his life, right? He's coming back and he's saying to his disciples, like, here's the deal. All of this time I spent with you, okay, so I spent these years with you, all hinges on whether or not you will take what I tell you and put it into practice, right? Meaning, here's what I taught you, now here's your mission. So, Everything that Jesus did for three years, everything that he did of dying on the cross, everything that he did in rosing from the dead hinged on whether or not his disciples would carry out the mission, right? So he says to them, and this is what we know about everybody, when you get to the end of your life, you tend not to mince words, right? You tend to get to the place where you say what you want to be able to say, and you don't tend to talk about things that don't matter. So this is the end for Jesus saying, this is your mission, and it all hinges upon you. Here's what he says to them. Then the 11, so this is Matthew 28, 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So if you just pause for there a second, Jesus is giving information that then should lead to action, right? How do we know that? It's because he gives the information and then in scripture you see therefore, 
So anytime you see a therefore in scripture, that's why you underline it. That's why you circle it. Because information is given for transformation. Does that make sense? Here's the information that he's giving. And if you carry it out, therefore do these things, things should transform or things should change. So all the information he gave him, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, right? Therefore, this is what he tells you, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, right? So here's what he says. Here's your mission, right? The first thing is you need to go. People aren't getting reached when churched people or people who love Jesus aren't reaching people who don't know him, right? So the first thing that you have to do is get outside of your circle and care about people that don't yet know him, right? That's the idea. He says, you got to go, right? But not only do you have to go, you have to go in a way to give them something that's going to transform them. What's going to transform them? Jesus, right? And not only do you want to transform them and give them Jesus, but you want to baptize them, right? Because baptism is this commitment that says, I'm going to stand up in front of everybody and say, this was my life. Now this is my life, right? Like that's what I'm going to do, baptize them. Then he says, and then they're going to teach them to obey all of the law, right? Or teach them to obey all of the commands. So life church's mission Right? We have a mission statement, but I want to give you this mission and make it in something really short for you, is to do this, right? to reach. So we will always be about and always be looking on how we as a church can reach people who don't know Jesus. We will always be that way. So the first thing for us all the time is who can we reach? I know that there are still people in this community, surrounding communities in the world that don't know Jesus and the job will never be done until we preach the gospel to everybody, period, right? Reach. The other thing is we can't just reach them, right? It does no good to just get a number of people in here and gather people together. What do you got to do? You got to teach them, right? You got to teach them what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, right? You can't just make messages about things that don't matter. You got to make messages about things that train them up, right? That's the idea. Scripture's saying when he's, when he's saying we need to baptize them and then teach them to obey, the idea is he's training up. We're training up an army to be used by God, right? Not to just get information. See, teaching and training is not just information. Does that make sense? Like, you don't just come and get information. What you're coming in is you're getting messages. You're getting, you know, things from other people that are a training process. Why? Because it would only be complete if you were sent, Right? You got to reach people, you got to teach people, train them up, and you got to send them out to do what? To turn around and do the same thing again. If that happens, the gospel of Jesus, this is what he's already told us, the gospel of Jesus Christ will be unstoppable in the world and the gates of hell will never prevail. That didn't get anybody excited. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if we did our responsibility as a church to reach, teach, send, and you took a hold of that and said, this is, this is a part of my DNA. He just flat out says, the gospel will never be stopped. The gates of hell will never prevail. We will see life after life after life and change through the gospel of Jesus Christ and it just spread everywhere, right? So that's our mission. But the bigger question is then, not only what our mission is, but how do we get it done, right? Like what's the strategy behind getting things done? Well, here's the one thing that we want, want to make everybody aware of this is that you know how we were talking about some people come because of teaching youth 
you know, worship, whatever that stuff is. We have said this from the beginning. That might be the thing that you came for, but that's not the answer to your problem. Okay, I'll make sure that I say this right, because for a lot of you in this room, you come to church because of either maybe somebody drug you here. That might be part of it, right? Like you had to come. But the rest of us at times come because we have something going on, right? Kids, like we got kids now, and so we should come to church. We got something broke now in our marriage. We need to get it fixed. I want to come to church. I got something in my life with my kids that I want to get better. I got something in relationships. Like something's not the right way. And so you come to church to get it right, right? To get it fixed. Here's the thing that you're going to hear us say all the time, over and over and over and over again. Worship, teaching, programs will never fix your problem. Never. I don't care how good they are. I don't care how well they're presented. The only thing that will fix your problem is Jesus Christ and him alone, period. That's it, right? And that is so vitally important because I want you to know if you've caught into that trap of coming to a church that has 100 programs to fix your problems, but they never point you to Jesus, it's just 100 programs that can make you maybe have a better marriage but not fix your problem. Because deep down, what you need more than anything is Jesus, Right? He's the only thing that can fix it. In fact, we know that not by what we think, but by what Scripture says. Here's what Scripture says. John 6, 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Our job from the beginning is to prepare for you the bread of life and the water that comes through Jesus so that you will never be hungry again and you never be thirsty again. Jesus is going to fix your problem, right? Now, in our strategy, this is what we know. So on a Sunday morning, every single mo- uh, Sunday morning, throughout the week, we talk about this, right? This idea that we're preparing the opportunity for people to partake in the bread of life, the thing that will change everything. So whether it's youth whether it's children's, whether it's sound, whether it's cameras, whether it's behind the scenes, whether it's greeters, no matter what's happening, here's the idea. We are preparing a meal expecting that when people come, they're going to meet Jesus, which will cure their hunger and cure their thirst, never to be hungry and thirsty again. That's what we think about all of the time. All of our preparation to get ready is always with this in mind that you can come and have at the table, the bread of life that will change everything. Now, we know that because of that, we've seen this over the course since 2004. We've seen tons of people who have come and for multiple different reasons, partaken in the bread of life, never be thirsty and hungry again, and their lives have been changed forever. But you know what else we've seen in 2000, since 2004? And honestly, even before that. So you know how you go to a meal? So this is like, think about it in the world. You know how you go to a meal and the whole idea is food's just supposed to be nourishment? You know what I mean? Like you don't really have to eat all that you really eat. Anybody feeling me? Right? Like you go to a meal and you probably don't have to eat everything that's there. I.e., right? That's how you get like this, right? And that's the idea is, is that when you go to a table, you just need enough nourishment so that you can go out and perform whatever you want to go out and perform, right? Like go out and get ever done. So you, just, you eat for fuel. Isn't that right, trainers? Right? Like you eat for fuel. That's the way it should be. So only eat enough and don't eat the stuff that doesn't give you the fuel. Right? Yeah, like that's the way it's supposed to be. 
Now, here's the problem. Just like last night. So I'm trying to lose weight. And last night, the kids are over, and Emma brings apple crisp and ice cream. Now, do you think I should be eating that? Yeah, right. Okay, maybe a little bit of it, but you know how it works, right? It's like, <laughs> right? Like you are bellied up eating stuff that I for sure don't need. That, that was not giving me energy for anything. I just wanted to partake, and it's making me fatter, right? Like it was good, and it was awesome, and I loved it. But that analogy is no different than the church, Right, because here's what happens inside of the church. Right, you come to church and you're like, oh, it's a message, and oh, it's a, the worship, and oh, and you just sit there and you're just eating, eating, and eating, and you're just bellying up to that table, taking all that you can take. But you know what the problem is? You're never pushing away and doing anything. You're just eating and getting fat at the table, right? Now we know that this is true, right? Because I've always said you know way more than you'll ever do. Is this true for a lot of people? Like the stuff that you know inside of Scripture, it tells you to do all these things. And honestly, we do way less than what Scripture says, but we just keep eating, right? And I want you to keep eating. But the problem is, if church is just created a bunch of obese people, right? Like spiritually fat people, we got problems, right? You can present the bread of life in every way possible to make everybody super excited to eat it. But if you never ask him to push away from the table and go out and change the world, you just got a church full of a lot of full people, right? Like that's the idea. So when we think about this, in fact, this has been a point in contention since 2004 is, is that we've had people leave over this idea, right? Because they want to come to church. And you know why you want to come to church? You want to feel good about yourself when you leave. Well, if you're sitting there bellied up doing nothing and you come here long enough and listen to the message, you're probably not going to feel so good about yourself. Not because of my message, but what scripture says. You're supposed to be on mission. There are people in the world that are losing their life, spending eternity in hell while you're eating at the table, taking care of yourself and doing nothing else. And so we say that and they're like, man, I left today and I just feel worthless. Well, I didn't make you feel worthless. Right? If you're going to listen to what the gospel says, if you're going to listen to what Jesus says, Jesus says movement matters. Movement matters. I don't know what your movement is, but your movement has to be come to the table and get fueled up and get away from the table and do something. I don't know what that something is, but get away from the table and be able to do something. Right? And that's the idea of the mission behind it and that we want to try to figure out how to be able to do that. Now, when we sit around in our staff meetings or we sit around in our leadership meetings, we talk about these chairs all the time, like these chairs just aren't randomly up here. When we make decisions, we make decisions all based upon these four chairs, right? So I'm going to give you a little bit, what are these four chairs? Here's the first chair. So the first chair is the leadership team and or the staff of Life Church, right? We call it the head chair just for the standpoint of not like head over, but just like the idea of why we talk about it and what we do with this. So the responsibility, if you're sitting in this chair, you're evaluated by helping carry out the mission, right? So you're evaluated in this way. If you're in this chair, how are you doing preparing the meal? 
right? So what are, what are you doing when it comes to preparing the meal so that we can get people, you know, the bread of life, so we can get them with the opportunity with the least amount of distractions to know who Jesus is, give our kids every opportunity possible to know who Jesus is. What are we doing, right? Like that, that's part of it. Here's the other piece of it. Our staff, we say this all the time, listen, you're going to meet with a lot of people, but just remember this, your responsibility is to point them to Jesus and you're not supposed to be, right? I said, listen, you at this church, you're going to have tons of people that are going to want your help and you can help them, but the greatest help you could give them is point them to the one that can fix them. You can't, right? Like the idea is you got to point them to the person that can make all of the difference because you can't make all of the difference. You have to point them to the one who can, right? You need to point them to Jesus and give them the opportunity to understand who Jesus is, right? So that they can fix those things. Here's the other piece. The responsibility of the staff of Life Church always evaluated in this way. When you're sitting in this chair, you're evaluated on whether or not you are equipping the saints or trying to do all the ministry yourself, right? Because here's, here's the reality. If a church wants to change the world, can the eight people that work there do it? Absolutely not, right? There's no possible way the staff of a church could ever change the world. The only way they're going to change the world is equip you, right? That their responsibility is to equip the saints to do the ministry, to do the things that God has called them to do. And so in this chair, we think seriously about the idea of what are we doing inside of our teams to equip the saints to be able to do the ministry, right? What are we doing to make it so that you're just a cog in the wheel like everybody else, right, as a staff member? Because if teams are working right, this is what we know about teams, People can come and go and ministry can still happen. True? Right? Because we've built teams of people to be able to make sure that the, we can't do this, right? You can't make the movement of God to be dependent upon a person. Right? The movement of God can never be dependent upon a person. So in this chair, vitally important, the head chair. Here's the next one. Chair one, right? If you ever sit around, you'll hear us talk about chair one. So chair one, a third of your church should be full of people that are sitting in chair one. Who are sitting in chair one? People who don't know Jesus, right? A healthy church has at least a third of their people that don't know Jesus Christ, that are coming into the church, searching for an answer to an emptiness that they've had for a really long time, right? That, this chair is, so everything that we think about when, when we're processing, we always keep this in mind. There are going to be people here, right, that are going to not know Jesus, and they're going to be looking for the answer. And you know what's so cool? Listen to me. You know, in, in Genesis, it says this. All men and women are created in the image of God. You are an image bearer of an invisible God put into physical form, and people walking in searching are seeing you. And listen to me. That's why when we talk about our greeters, when we talk about, you know, the, the donuts, when we talk about the music, when we talk about the message, we always talk about chair one. You know why? Because there have been people that have been baptized at Life Church that in their baptism story, you know what they said? I came in and I was lost and I was empty. And at that door, somebody made me feel welcome and at home. And because of that, I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You know what I mean? Some of you are thinking, why are there so many people out there that I have to shake their hand? Right? 
Here's why. We don't want to miss an opportunity for a life to be changed forever. If it took 20 people shaking hands, we ought to all be out there shaking hands. If that could make a difference, right? If it could make a difference that we are doing something, right? If it meant we had to buy 40 more donuts because somebody was like, I stood there, ate a donut, and somebody came and talked to me and because they came and talked. Whatever that stuff is, we care about this chair. And we're going to do everything in our power to make those people who you're working with in the community and you're inviting them here to say, you know what, if you come here, something's going to be different. That the first difference they're going to see is you. Not the message and not the worship and not anything else. It's you. You're the difference. That's what's real to people, right? Now, you know what's crazy about chair one? I bet if I went around the room today, I would say, hey, do you think it's important to reach people? Do you think most people in the church would say that? Hey, it's important to reach people, right? You know what? We say that until something happens, right? We all want to reach people until it gets uncomfortable. I've watched this since 2004. I want to reach people. I don't get my seat anymore. Like, what do you mean you don't get your seat anymore? Well, you got all these people coming and I'm sitting in the back and it's distracting in the back because they took the front. And I'm like, did you really just say that? Or, you know, we know this, right? So that, so that the more that the church grows, the more difficult everything becomes, right? So, I mean, you guys coming in probably had to park out in Boonesville, right? And if I'm, if I'm a person, we're going to talk about this after a while. If I'm a person that loves Jesus, I would want to park in Boonesville because then every single step you're taking, you're like, because somebody's coming to know Jesus. If I had to walk five miles for somebody to come to know Jesus, I'm going to walk those five miles with my arms in the air saying, praise God, I have to walk five miles and I don't get to park right by the church where nobody's getting reached. Right? Like, it's okay. I mean, I know it's difficult, but you know, when you get people uncomfortable every once in a while, things matter that didn't matter before. Like, you, you try to go out the door, you're in the first service. People got to wait like 10 minutes just to get out the door, right? And I'm like, isn't that cool? No, 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 it wasn't like that before. I know, isn't that cool? Like, those are the things that I love. Like, we got to make sure that we continue to care because the more uncomfortable you become, the more God's working, Right? Just stay uncomfortable. Here's the other piece about chair one. What do we want you to do? So if you're in this chair today, what do we want you to do? Here's the first thing. Stay for the next four weeks. Okay, come for the next four weeks. We want you to just come. You don't have to you know, participate in anything. All I want you to do is come with an open heart and trust that if you come with an open heart that Jesus Christ is going to meet you. That hunger and thirst that you've had that you've been trying to fill with everything else will be filled with something that will never go away. Right, so be open to what those things are. When you have that feeling, so like if any of you guys have been through this and you have that feeling and like Jesus Christ changed you and, and you know what that is, right? If you get that feeling, you make that decision, here's the next thing we want you to do, get baptized, right? Get baptized, like that's the, the, the public proclamation that this was my life and now this is my life, isn't that awesome? Right, we'd love you to, to be able to do that. So that's chair one, okay? Chair two, Another chair that we talk about all the time, chair two. Third of your church should be made up of chair two people. Chair two people are people that have just given their life to Jesus Christ, right? Or people that have been disconnected from the church for many, many years, 
right? And they're finally coming back, but they're kind of new in their faith, right? New in this journey of the things that they're doing. So in this chair, right, in chair two, right, these people, right, are the people that are new in Christ, and they're so excited, right, because you just gave your life to Christ, you just got back into church, all these things are going good, but here's the problem with chair two. This is where most people get stuck, right? This chair is, it holds so many people, and here's why. Because, you know, when you're lost and, and you're found again, you have this excitement level that's like, oh my gosh, I just is so much different and I want to do whatever it takes. I want to I follow. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have an enemy that you didn't have before. Anybody? You see what I'm saying, right? Like you, you get here and you get out of this chair and you're super excited. And now here's what the enemy knows. He tried to keep you from salvation and couldn't. And so now he's going to try to keep you from spiritual maturity and trying to keep you from spiritual maturity. He's going to try to put the roadblocks in place. And now you face an enemy that's on fire to kill, steal, and destroy you. Because before you were his follower, now you're a follower of Christ, and now you've got, you got a target on your back. And so the enemy steps in, and when the enemy steps in, the enemy tries to keep us from moving in what's called in the church world spiritual maturity, but a deeper relationship with Christ. Does that make sense? Right? Spiritual maturity is just deeper relationship with Christ. Now, here's what we know. So when you give your life to Christ, something changes inside of your heart. Amen. Right? Like just something changes inside of you and you don't know directly what to do with that, but you start to change. You start to think differently. You start to look at things differently. You start to process things differently. Things are different. And here's what we know. We as a church can't measure somebody's heart, right? Like we have no idea. Like you have no idea how to measure somebody's heart, but if it's our responsibility, like movement matters, you know, we talked about that, like movement matters and we need to help you push away. We've got to be able to do our best to help you on the process. This is where our mission statement, helping every person take their next step towards Jesus and we do it together. This is where it comes from. We got to help you in your journey of spiritual maturity, right? Like that's the idea. So what we've said is, is that we think scripture is very clear. Although we can't measure the heart, we believe that Scripture says there are measurements of the heart based upon the actions of your life, right? So we're going to measure what we think Scripture measures when it comes to spiritual maturity. Here's the first one that we measure here at Life. How many, how many people attend? Not from the standpoint of, so when, because when people ask you about your church, this is the funny thing, they say, how's things going at the church? You know what they want to know? how many people are coming. That's not why we measure attendance, right? We don't measure attendance because, in fact, we're still trying to figure out ways that we can measure whether you're here or not, not how many people are here. Because if we're on a journey with you, then it's great to know that, that part of your spiritual maturity is attending on a regular basis, that we can watch your journey and help you through that process, right? We're still trying to figure that piece out, but we think that that's important. Here's the other thing. Things will change, right? So it's now all of a sudden you want to come and you want to get fed and you want to be a part of this. Here's the other thing that will change. When you give your life to Christ, all of a sudden this shifting in your heart happens that takes things away from you and helps you focus more on other people, right? Like all of a sudden, all of the selfishness you had about you all of a sudden becomes about, oh, maybe I should be thinking about other people. So we say when you're thinking about other people, what's the natural thing you do? You serve, right? 
So we think spiritual maturity, so we measure how many people are serving because we think if you're maturing spiritually, you're not going to just come and partake. That's one of the great things about two services, right? Great thing about two services. You can serve and still be in church all on one Sunday, right? You can do that, and that's a part of spiritual maturity, right? Like I can serve and I can be fed all in the same place because a level of spiritual maturity which says now no longer is the Sunday morning anymore about just who? Me, right? It's about other people that are coming so I can be a part of preparing the table, so I can be a part of greeting the person, so I can be the person that's going to lead that person in children's ministry to Jesus Christ. I can be the person that's working in middle school youth. Whatever those things are, now I get to be a part of that. Not Oh my gosh, I have to volunteer. You see the difference? The difference between saying, I'm preparing the bread of life, and if they eat this thing, they will never thirst and be hungry again, and it'll be changed for the rest of their life. Why wouldn't you volunteer? Right? Why wouldn't you be a part of it? Knowing that I could shake somebody's hand, it could be the difference in eternity for them, why wouldn't you shake their hand? Right? Knowing that if you have talent to be on the worship team, why wouldn't you get beyond, like, I don't know what people will think. Right? To be able to get up there and worship in a way knowing that if you're worshiping, it could bring somebody to Jesus Christ. Why wouldn't you? Right? So serving. The other thing is this. We think you'd be in community. Right? Another thing that we measure. We think that you would get in a group of people because we think spiritual maturity happens when you get out of these rows and you get into circles. And you know why? Because in circles, this is what we know. Remember, you don't need any more information. Like we love that you're going to go there and you're going to be in a Bible study, but let's be honest, you know more than you'll ever do anyway. Maybe. Like, I want you to keep learning, right? Please keep learning. Please keep learning Scripture. But honestly, it's not just about learning Scripture. It's about who you're getting to know, right? And who you're getting to know, meaning this, in that circle, you're going to get to know Jesus better, and you're going to get to know other people better. And because of that relationship, things are going to change in the lives of people. Right? So we need to do in chair two, spiritual maturity, need to be able to move through that. The other thing is giving. We know scripture is very clear. Your heart, what you do with your money is a reflection of your heart. And I'll just leave it at that. He flat out says that what you do with your money, whether you're generous with it to other people or whether you're stingy and keep it, is a reflection of where your heart is. So spiritual maturity is reflected in whose stuff is it and what are you doing with it. Good? Now, the enemy... So we already said people get stuck there. The enemy of spiritual maturity is this chair. You think it's a high chair. We call it an eye chair, right? Because you know what happens in this chair? So, so all of a sudden, before Jesus, right? So before Jesus, life was about you, pretty much, right? So everything kind of revolved around you. You kind of did everything you could do to, you know, make your life comfortable and better. And then all of a sudden you gave your life to Jesus and people are, are now all of a sudden saying, life should no longer be about you, right? And naturally, the natural tendency for people that are new in their faith or even people that are old in their faith that haven't fixed this problem is to say, wait, 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 wait. It's about me. It's about me, Right? If you don't change the way the worship is, I'm leaving. If you don't change the way children's is, I'm leaving. If you don't make parking better, I'm leaving. If you don't, so, and we, we've had this, like, we've had people leave life because, like, something happened in their family, and they would call me, 
And I'd be like, I, you know, I can't make it. I, I mean, I tell everybody this. I love everybody in this church, but I don't love you more than I love my family. And I will never sacrifice my family on the altar of being at every single thing. And they're like, because you didn't come, you didn't care. No, that's not the way it works. There's lots of people. I told you there'd be people that beat at your bedsides today. It's just not going to be me. I want, you're the pastor. It's your job. Nope. It's not the way it works, right? That, that's never going to be possible anyway for the needs of every single person to be met by a person or even a few people anyway, right? But people get stuck in this chair and when it doesn't go their way, here's what they believe, just like kids, right? Isn't this your kids sitting in this chair when they don't get their way? Ah! Until you hear them. Anybody? Right, that's raised kids that that kid ain't getting their way. They are screaming until they get their way. And so we just try to tell people that are in this chair, like one of two things. I'll help you get out of this chair and move on where you should probably find somewhere else to be because no amount of screaming is going to get us to change and focus on the eye chair. This is not going to happen, right? We're not going to do those things. So we've got to make sure that, that if you're in this chair, right, it's okay. God has grace. Just get out, right, and, and move on because you moving on in spiritual maturity is all going to be dependent upon the idea. Is it about you or is it about other people? Is that fair, right, to say? Now, chair three. This is our, our last one. So in chair three, right, this is the chair that we would call the spiritually mature or maturing, right? The people that are spiritually mature or maturing, right? Now, in this chair, people that are in this place tend to take, you know, all those things that we said that we were going to measure, right? That they tend to be having those things in their life on a semi-regular basis. And this is why, right? They have counted the cost of being a disciple and they have chose that the cost is worth it, Amen. right? That's how you end up in this chair, right? Because if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Luke 14. So in Luke 14, Jesus is giving an example of a problem, Okay. So in Luke 14, if you look at right before what we're going to read, so we're going to be reading 25 through 33. Jesus says, I have this feast or this banquet. He's going to tell a parable like where you guys can all come. And I want everybody to go out and I want you to invite everybody to the banquet where we can all be either a part of preparing to eat the bread of life or feasting on the bread of life, but go out and invite in all of these people. Well, guess what happened, right? So he, you know, the parables, like the master says, go out and invite everybody. So he goes out there and invites people, but guess what happens? Everybody has a excuse of why they can't come. Now listen to me. The difference between you getting out of chair two and moving to chair three is stop giving excuses of why you can't. That's what it is, right? Because everybody has an excuse of why you're, why you're not doing the things that God has called you to do as a disciple of Jesus Christ, right? Don't we? Time, money, kids, busyness, sport. I mean, we all have a reason why we don't right? What 
he's getting ready to say is, is that not only is this a tragedy, not only is excuses a tragedy because then you get stuck in chair two and you keep getting over into the high chair and spiritual maturity never happens. Not only is it a tragedy, it's probably a good time for self-evaluation because listen to what he says. Luke 14, starting in verse 25. This is after he told the parable. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate Father, mother, wife, and child, or children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. So is he really saying you have to hate your kids? Do you have to hate your mother? Do you have to hate your daughter? Have to hate... Is he really saying you have to hate those things? You know, here's what he's saying. You can't love them more than me. That's what he's saying. You can't keep using your marriage, your kids, your job, your whatever the things that you have as an excuse of why you're not over here. Because the reason that you're not in this chair is because you love these things more than you love me. No? Yes? Right? Like, and again, don't take this as a, like, anybody pointing fingers. What I'm saying is, is that he's trying to bring a reality that the thing that gets you stuck is you use this as an excuse and you think it's an okay excuse. Right? That's what these people were saying. Like, isn't it okay for the dead to bury the dead? Isn't it okay for me to take care of my family? Isn't it okay? Like all of those things. And he's just saying, you've got to get to the place where you love me more than you love those things. Because listen to what he says. This is, this to me is eye-opening. If anyone comes to me, doesn't hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be what? <laughs> I'm not saying it. He's saying it. If you're going to continue to give excuses of why you will never get out of this chair and mature spiritually, what he says is you better look at something because there might be something wrong with what? Right? There might be something that you really have to decide when it comes to being a disciple because he says, such a person cannot even be my disciple and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple, right? And then he goes on and he gives some examples. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. So he's saying, like as a disciple, once you get here, like once you're in chair two and you're new in your faith, you have to understand the truth of the gospel means this. It costs you nothing and everything at the same time. So if you've been given a false gospel that it says it will cost you nothing and cost you nothing, it's a false gospel. It'll cost you nothing because the gift of salvation is free, but it'll cost you everything because now you gave your life to him, period. Cost you everything, right? And if he's saying, who who sits in this chair who heard the truth of the gospel would ever stand there and not estimate the cost of what it's going to take. Doesn't mean you're not going to run into roadblocks. Doesn't mean like, I know the house is going to cost X amount of dollars, but man, this is a slow build. Anybody been on a slow build? And even when it fell down, you build it again? Anybody? 
right? But it doesn't mean we just keep building. You know, it might be slow. We got to keep going, but we've estimated the cost. So we're not going to sit there and be like, oh, my house is finished. And then there's just a foundation. Nobody would do that, right? You would, you would keep working until the house is finished. Spiritual maturity is going to be building your house until the day you meet Jesus, Right? Some of us are going to build fast. Some of us are going to build slow. Some of us are going to make big mistakes and have to tear it down and do it again. But we're going to keep building. We're going to keep hammering. We're going to keep doing because we've counted the cost and know the house is the end result. Right? Not just getting a foundation and saying we're done. Then he goes on and gives the same example. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't the first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. The worship team comes back up. Let me help you, like, we'll finish this out. So here's what he's saying, the same thing, right? Like, if you have 10,000 people and you're trying to get against 20,000 people, it doesn't make any sense for you not to prepare because if you don't prepare, you're going to get slaughtered. Right, So the person that thinks about this is going to go out and try to make peace. They're going to go out and do something about it. All he's trying to get at, once you get in this chair and you're new in your faith, the movement out of this chair matters. Not how fast you move, but that you are moving. Does that, right? Because I know some people are going to be like, oh my gosh, what does this even mean? Here's what it means is you're going to at least get up out of this chair and you're going to say, I'm going to take one step, I'm going to take another step, I'm going to take another step, I'm going to take another step, and you're going to trust that God's going to change some things in your heart, right? Because listen, the, the longer that you are a follower of Jesus, right? And the longer that you sit in this chair, chair three, the more that you realize that it's not about you. But anybody that's been in this chair for a while, did that happen right away? <laughs> that did not happen overnight, right? That didn't happen because it, you know how it happens sometimes? It's because you think that it's all about you and then God reminds you it's not. Anybody been in that process? You've been walking along and, you know, you, you're thinking you're doing good and then you're working your way back to this chair about me, about me, because you were doing it good. This is how everybody gets. I'm gone, I'm trucking, and everything's going right, and I'm working towards spiritual maturity. And then all of a sudden, we start slipping backwards, and then God reminds us, because we're back sitting in this chair again, hey, it's not about you. Get up. Get up. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know the tragedy you're going through. I know the hard times you're going through. I know the situation you're going through. Just get up, because when you get up and you move, then you're with the one who's moving with you. Right? God doesn't want people that are just sitting in these chairs. Like Movement matters. How fast you move doesn't, but that you are moving does. Now, here's what I want you to process. Here's what we know about all of these chairs. God is a God full of mercy and grace. Right? God is a God that, that you're over here in this first chair here today and, and you're, you're processing, you know, I don't know if I want to believe. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know that, you know, who he is or how I should go down these roads. I want you to know God loves you. 
And God's going to pursue you. And God's going to chase after you. And no amount of mistakes that you've made in your past, things that you've messed up, things that are going to go wrong, is ever going to change how much he loves you and how much he wants you to be his son and his daughter. Don't miss that. He loves you and so do we. Right? We love you and we want to do everything possible for you to feel the love of a Savior. If you're in this chair and you've been stuck for a while, I heard after the first service, a lot of people come up and said, I've been in this chair for a long time. Then have the courage to just get up. I don't know what tomorrow brings, but have the courage to say, you know what, I've been stuck here for a while, but the God of grace and mercy isn't condemning me for being stuck. He's given me the power to get up right? It's not a condemnation to say, shame on you for sitting in that chair. He's saying, I still love you. Here's the power. Just get up. I got something for you. You've been missing out. This here is not about condemnation. This is about blessing, right? This here is about get up. I want you to walk into the blessing that I have for you. Walk into the blessings that have been waiting for you while you've been sitting there. Get up. I got something special for you. And if you're sitting in this chair, I'm going to ask you something. I want you to take a moment today during this last song to never forget the day that you were saved. Because you know why we struggle sometimes being sent? Because you forgot that you were once lost. You hear me? Like if you remember the day that God saved you, if you remember the day that God rescued you, if that's deep in your heart, you're going to be like, oh, I want to get more people in this chair. I want to tell them my story. I want to tell them how God saved me and he can save you. We don't have to say live sent. Naturally, you will be sent when you remember that Jesus Christ rescued you from the grips of hell and brought you into the glory of heaven and now he's celebrating with you today. When you're in that chair, that'll move you in the right place when you remember those things. Will you stand so I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, we just love you so much, Lord, and we um, thank you for being gracious to Life Church. Lord, we've always been trying to figure out how to live on mission. We've been trying to figure out what to do, Lord, and we're thankful that in the midst of our mistakes, in the midst of our journey, Lord, you're still with us and you still love us. Lord, we pray that we'll continue to be able to go down that road, live on mission and live on purpose. Lord, I pray as a church today that we will be a people that won't get stuck, that we will be a people that will understand that movement matters, that we will be a people that God says wants to be with us on the journey. Lord, may we be a people that change the world. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.